You're listening to Tigers SRD with Roger Martin and Chris Brown on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Joined now with the 35th anniversary of the Tigers' 84 championship run, which is coming up next week, actually. There's going to be, I believe it starts next week, it's a series against the Nationals. It is always a pleasure. And, and the talk history, of course, Chris and I, I, I randomly jump in with random history of uh, moments of Felipe Lira and Bill Gullickson and Jose Lima. But the before all that was the 84 Tigers. And joining us is Nathan Birma who hosts the Tigers History Podcast. He's also a voiceover guy. I mean, as soon as you hear his voice, you're just like, wow, that guy's got a radio professional thing going. And uh, uh, just wanted to talk a little bit about the 35th anniversary and some things, some projects he has, projects he has coming out. Nathan, good to join us, uh, join us again. How you doing? Guys, it's great to join you. Thanks for having me back. And for me, Bill Gullickson is old school. <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, I was, I've said before where I'll say, hey, it's 10 years ago. And then I realized it was actually 20 years ago in the 90s now. And I know Chris has said that before, too, as well. But uh, you look at the, what's going on with the Tigers right now. There's, I mean, everybody's talking about the rebuild and what have you. But it all kind of – and now we're looking at the 84 more and more since now 35 years. But uh, – the 84 season, what about the squad itself? What is your fondest memory? If it's something that you can pinpoint growing up as an adolescent, what is something that stands out to you about the 84 team? Well, so I'm going to start with, uh, I feel a little sheepish disclosing this, but um, I was four years old when the Tigers broke camp in 1984. I turned five just after they clinched the division. So my firsthand memories are almost nil. I started religiously following the Tigers and following Major League Baseball in 1985, so my timing was not opportune. Um, and some of my efforts with my Tigers History podcast and Twitter account um, are to go back and, and relive or experience um, what I didn't have a firsthand fan experience of. I will say, my dad took me to my first Tiger game in the 84 season. It was the June 7 game in the series with the Blue Jays, where Rupert Jones in his second game hit a huge home run. Jack Morris pitched a complete game. And um, that was, uh, we can talk about it in a second, despite their 35-5 and five start, the Tigers had the Blue Jays right on their heels, and that was one game that helped them uh, put a little distance between them and Toronto. Um, so, of course, you never forget your first Tigers game. You never forget going into Tiger Stadium and seeing the expanse of the outfield grass behind uh, before you. And uh, so I have vivid memories of that game. My favorite player throughout the entire 80s was Kurt Gibson, uh, these days, especially because I'm uh, beating a drum for him, it's Lou Whitaker. Um, and uh, I first saw them uh, back in that June game of 84. Yeah, and, and, and Chris and I are about, I think we're roughly around the same age. And, and the 84 team, I, there's a picture of my in my parents' basement. Is, uh, I was three years, I was, yeah, I was four years old, and there was me with my tusk hair, and they're watching the game as it unfolds. And uh, my first experience was Tigers and Royals. A few short years later, and that was my first time with that. But well, the reason why the 84 team stood out to me as I got older was watching the Tigers in the late ni- in the late 80s 
their their hundred loss season eighty nine comes to mind, and th- those years kept coming up as kind of a reminder of what what could possibly come down the line, and that was the, the team that kind of um, just as I've gotten even in my younger days, always looking up uh, one of my first books. And I had, I've had two copies of the Bless You Boys book. Uh, my second version right now is still a little under the weather, so I have to still get a, a, a better version of it. But uh, just hearing Sparky talk about that team and just always having the optimism he had that, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the third baseman that he had, but uh, you know, the, perhaps a Billy Bean or – one of these, um, Chris, um, or I forgot the name of the shortstop, but the yeah, Pitaro, yeah, Pitaro, Chris Pitaro. yeah, Chris Pitaro, yes, that he was gonna be the next uh, big thing, and I always hearing him crack up with the optimism. But uh, yeah, that Jays team had some really good talent, but just unfortunately, a lot, like a lot of Bobby Cox teams, did not have a bullpen. But uh, one man was part of that rotation, Doyle Alexander, which would favor the Tigers short time later. So, but yeah, that that Jays team was just. Some some names you know throughout the eighties, Dave Stebb, of course Jimmy Key, who was another again, kind of ironic. He played a big role in eighty seven too as well, but for the Jays. Uh, but you know, in terms of the, the team construction, we we just had the draft last week, and we talked uh, the draft and and what the importance of building the squad was, and a lot of the eighty four team was built. On the eyes of one Billy Juris, and 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 Juris was responsible for. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but just the the amount of talent he drafted, or was responsible for getting out there. Um, he was really good at, and this is you know, I was doing some research on this and how much he was able to have influence on, arguably the best Tigers scouting director of all time, and Bill Joyce, who ended up being the GM of that '84 squad, who was a scouting director, but. He was responsible for Lou Whitaker. He was responsible for um, himself and, and just having the eyes, trusted eyes of him. And the other scout that was in mind, too, that comes in mind as well was, um, I'm trying to, here it is, uh, Dick Winlick. And he was responsible for Jack Morris, Dan Petrie, Steve Kemp, Dave Stegman, and Steve Baker. So. Hey, wait, what was that name again? <laughs> Dick Win- Winlick. W I E N C E K. Okay, just continue. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. But um, the construction of this roster for this '84 squad is such a huge part of history. And Nathan, I know that when you guys are tweeting these things out, and you realize of that core, that draft of, of between 1974 to about 1977, to even you know, even you have to argue with Howard Johnson coming aboard too, which would be a trade piece later on, but. The construction of this team is very, very, it's just from the farm up. It really is, and I didn't realize how far back it went. Back to that 77, I believe, was the year that those players you mentioned were drafted. And the 70s were a wasteland. After the 1972 title, uh, everything fell apart. Uh, 1975, they bottomed out, had 19 losses in a row. Then, of course, in 1976, you have this euphoric interlude with the magical season of Mark Fidrich. And what a what if it is to think about, could he have been the veteran starter anchoring that 1984 rotation had he not gotten injured? Um, But in those desolate years of the 70s, the seeds are being planted. The draft is unbelievable. I just found out last week or in the last week or two, Lou Whitaker was a fifth round pick out of high school. And boy, I mean, when I think about scouting, I think there has to be some luck involved because you never know who's going to be a hit and who's going to be a miss. Um, but, uh, boy, they hit on a lot of players in that time period. 
And as we think about today, and you guys are the experts on today, my question is, is this going to be the 70s or the 90s? I mean, the 90s were a similar desolate period, and we just did not get what we thought we would get from Justin Thompson and so many others who are going to be the next big thing. Um, That experience puts a little bit of doubt in my mind or a little bit of fear in my mind. Uh, let's not go through that again. We're all the '90s. We were promised, okay, that the, there's there's uh, reinforcements coming up, uh, and they just never seem to uh, pan out. Chris, I mean, what about you? I mean, what do you, what's your? Uh, <laughs> that sounds like a loaded question, but uh, that's a good question. Well, I, I lean a little bit. I feel like it's going to be a little bit more toward the '90s. I, I feel like the 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 current front office and and they're better. Talent evaluation, but I think that's just kind of the story across baseball. I think prospects are prospect lists are much more reliable now than they were 20, 30 years ago. You know, back back then it was like, well, he's he plays a position, so he's going to be good. <laughs> he's a third baseman of the future. Uh, so I think I think we can rely on Mize and Manning more than you know the Justin Thompsons and, and perhaps Jeff Weavers of the world. But I don't see the core of a World Series contender by any means. Uh, There's no, I mean, it's tough to beat a core where you've got up the middle players like Trammell, Whitaker, and Parrish, and not to mention the pitching. I I mean, they just don't have anybody like that in the system. And you can certainly see the pieces of a very solid rotation in the current Tigers' future. But yeah, yeah, as you mentioned, all the different pieces. So when you're getting Morris and Petrie from the draft and Trammell and Whitaker and Parrish from the draft, as you mentioned, and then adding, when you're talking up the middle, adding a Chet Lemon by trade. So a lot of these big pieces came in draft, uh, in the draft, and some came by very shrewd trades. Um, a lot of people were brokenhearted to see Steve Kemp go to, uh, I guess, the White Sox it was. But the return with Chet Lemon, he became a fixture on that 84 team and in center field at Tiger Stadium for many years. Um, and, of course, the, the trade right before the season started at the end of spring training, uh, Bergman and uh, Hernandez being acquired and they lost some pieces that were hard to part with at the time and then it turned out just to be um, the key missing pieces and Bergman would have some great moments that year and of course Hernandez being the MVP Um, so a very solid foundation with the draft key pieces uh, coming in trades and of course um, one notable free agent the Tigers had never dipped their toe in the free agent waters that much at that time. But when they did by signing free agent Darrell Evans, that was a signal that this team was uh, was pulling out all of the stops and, and ready to uh, to make a push for the championship. Yeah, and speaking of free agency, too, and the Tigers, I'm glad you're bringing that up, Nathan, because the Tigers at that period of time really weren't a team that didn't really get the big name, or try to go after the big name free agents. I mean, you look at... Uh, senior Smoke and Aurelio Lopez, which we'll get to in a second because uh, I do want to talk about that and the trade for Willie, uh, for Willie Hernandez. But the the thing is, especially for a guy like Daryl Evans, who had a, a very distinguished career beforehand with the Braves and did some and did, it was a really rock solid player, was an all star in San Francisco with the Giants. That and, and this is a guy who played, it was still productive into his 40s as part of those aging Tiger teams later on in the late 80s. But yeah, I think he was a, a, a catalyst for that, especially at a position at first base where the Tigers really, it, it, you know, you can argue back and forth between, I believe, I think Rusty Staub played a little bit at first. Well, I didn't think he was primary outfield. I think he played a little bit at first, but they didn't really have a first baseman to note or solidify. I mean, 
you look at Kemp and, and Jason Thompson was another fan favorite too that a lot of fans were let were angry to see let go, but he was not gonna he wasn't the kind of guy that Daryl Evans was. And Evans who came over from third to play first and he did a really smooth transition. And there's one other move that I was hoping we could mention. Um as you mentioned, Bill LaJoy should get a lot more credit than he does. One person who gets some credit, but his name I think has to be mentioned is Jim Campbell, the president of the Tigers. And among the moves he made was uh, hiring Sparky Anderson in 1979. The Tigers had just brought in a brand new manager, Les Moss, who had worked his way up through the system. Um, I just saw on Fox Sports Detroit, they they aired this special, The Roar of 84. I think they're going to rerun it during rain delays this year. And in that special, Lance Parrish says, you know, Les Moss was my manager in the minor leagues. I took great comfort in having Les Moss take over in 79. And then two and a half months into the season, the Tigers find out that Sparky Anderson is available. I learned recently he had a handshake deal to join the Cubs in 1980. Um, But he got the call from Jim Campbell and took it. And the Tigers uh, dumped Moss which was both very unjust and absolutely the right move because they got the manager who took the big red machine to glory. And he, uh, he was the, just the right person to take the tigers to uh, to a championship. Again, a move that at the time, some scratched their heads, although Sparky Anderson had a big reputation, uh, but it was just the right move at just the right time in his opening press conference. He says, we'll win a world series within five years. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, what's, what's interesting, too, about that, Nathan, and t- Chris and I talked about this at the beginning of the season, Sparky was doing color for the Angels at the time. It was uh, with Don Drysdale, uh, with Don Drysdale in the booth, and Jim Campbell, I believe it was new, not the, the, the correlation, but he, I think it was he knew Drysdale, and he was talking to, he asked Sparky, what, Campbell and him struck up a conversation, and he wasn't kind of in, Sparky already at that time made his decision about the Cubs, as you, you mentioned. Uh, but Campbell talked him, talked him over it. Uh, I think it was Giants Hill who introduced him, and they talked it over. And, and Campbell was the next day followed up with him, and he left Anaheim with its attention of managing the Tigers. So that was that was a cool side story, and I I, I think I read that in the Detroit Athletic, or I, I forgot the website where I pulled that information from. But I'll, I, as soon as I find, it, I'll send you the link. It's, it was really a fascinating story of how he became because he was sold on what Campbell was doing. And the Tigers at that time, at that 78-79 point, were one of the youngest teams. They were, like you, were, you mentioned earlier, the farm system was just a barren in the 70s. And they were able to sign an old friend in Sparky and Doug Bear, Doug Bay, Bear who was with them uh, towards really, I mean, the latter part of the Cincinnati Big Red Machine before Sparky was to me, still one of the most scratchling moves of all time to fire a man over his roster because, I mean, there's not much he could do with that. The Reds deconstructing. But uh, Aldulio Lopez was a signing, too, that really kind of, I thought that in terms of top 10 free agent signings of all time, if you want to talk about one of the best signings of all time, this is a guy who at one point was the Tigers' closer. When the Tigers needed a multi-inning guy to go, he could do it. He was just so versatile as a reliever, you know, he had that screwball going, but he was such – it was so such effective for – you don't see left-handers like that anymore. Guys who can go multiple innings like that, and he could he sometimes spot start, and he was just a guy really was a, a backbone of that Tigers bullpen. 
But, I mean, between those two, him and Hernandez and Lopez were 19-4 and four with 46 saves and an ERA 2.43. That is something that, I mean, the, the bullpen is alluded to the Tigers, um, those two World Series in the, in, in the millennium. But I think he's one of the most underrated relief pitchers in the history of the Tigers. Honestly, it's just, it's just, he's a, he's a lot of statistics. Him, Bear, and um, Steve Butts, who wanted to ask about this too as well, threw in there um, one Bill, uh, and I, I kind of forgot, I f- forgot about him too, Bill Schrader, who's on, I think underrated too as part of that 84 team. Totally agree about Lopez. Really glad you brought him up. Um, by the way, I might put John Hiller in that category of one of the most underrated pitchers of all time. Good call. Uh, he's, uh, was a starter, then was a reliever, uh, came back from a heart attack. But anyway, that's a different uh, that's a different podcast episode. But Aurelio Lopez has to be up there. And that's the funny thing about the Hernandez acquisition is you look at 1983 and Lopez was solid in that role, the fireman role that you talk about. And so it wasn't like Hernandez filled a glaring need. They did need another left-handed arm in that bullpen, um, but they didn't need to go out and get someone who would become the MVP because they had Lopez. And what you see is Sparky was able, of course, Captain Hook, you know, would sometimes often give his starters the quick hook and turn it over to either Lopez or Hernandez for two or three innings. And Hernandez could not have carried that load by himself. And Lopez, especially for long stretches of of the season, was just as solid. So I think it's absolutely right that because Hernandez was the MVP, uh, was on the mound when, uh, when the Tigers won the championship and clinched the uh, division earlier, um, Hernandez got all the spotlight, but uh, Lopez deserves a, a huge portion of it. It was great to see him honored. Was it this past weekend at Comerica Park? Yeah, that was correct. Yeah, he was. And I'm, I'm sorry, right? He was a righty. I'm, I was thinking he replaced John Hiller, who was a lefty. It was, it was Hiller that he replaced. And yeah, see, for for a guy that goes multiple innings like that, but as a screwball pitcher, and I also take it Fernando, who Fernando Venezuela, who was the lefty. With a screwball, yeah, it was this weekend. He unfortunately passed away in an accident in Mexico. But yeah, he he took the mantle of John Hiller. I mean, this was the guy who took over in was it? I think it was it was in '79. So he was there at the beginning of Sparky's run, and he was a big clutch guy. And you're right, especially after the '83 season, you expected maybe it was just to add an insurance there. I don't know, but uh, either way, um, and and really the the last thing I want to ask you about too, in terms of just kind of elaborate about the 84 squad. What was there, there was something that you, you mentioned on Twitter or we talking beforehand that kind of stumble block um, that really good piece you found there. What, what was that in, in terms of what could have, despite all that would happen in 84, the 35 and 5 run, what else could have been result or what could have happened, if you will, if the Tigers and NFC start? Yeah, so you look at a 35 and 5 start, you look at winning the division. Uh, comfortably. You look at winning the World Series uh, with only one loss in the postseason, uh, the game two in San Diego, and you say, okay, this team had all the pieces. Everything just went completely right. And that's not entirely true. I actually, before I started Tigers History, I started a Twitter account called Tigers 84 Replay, and I went to that book you mentioned, Bless You Boys by Sparky, and uh, a book I have on the shelf right next to it called Inside Pitch by Roger Craig, which in many ways is an even more interesting book because Craig just delves into the specifics, of course, of his pitching staff, but of the entire team throughout that entire season. And so I started tweeting out the results and a comment from Sparky or Roger Craig day by day. And when it gets to the end of July and beginning of August, uh, they had, you know, like three doubleheaders in a row and you're really feeling the slog. 
Um, it's not that the division title was ever in jeopardy, um, but it was no slam dunk. And I've also found out recently in Sparky Anderson's book, I think it was called They Call Me Sparky, he said he had so much anxiety that 84 season because after the 35 and 5 start, you think, oh my goodness, if we blow this, um, we'll, we'll never live it down that we were the team that started 35 and 5 and didn't win the World Series. And he said, I never was able to enjoy it as much as I should have because of that anxiety. But the piece you mentioned was a piece that ran in the Toledo Blade after the Tigers clinched the division, looking at all the things that went right. And then it said, but there were a number of things that went wrong. One was what you mentioned, third base. The third base problem was a huge question mark coming out of spring training. Who was it going to be? Was it going to be Howard Johnson? Was it going to be Tom Brookins? Was it, it would end up being at the end of the year in the postseason, Marty Castillo, would Daryl Evans be asked to play some third? And they never quite figured that out. Howard Johnson provided some offense. Tom Brookins provided some defense. Castillo, a little of both in the postseason. Uh, but it wasn't much more clear in October <laughs> who the third baseman was than it was at the end of March. Um, another problem that was listed in this article uh, in September 84 of, of what went wrong in 84 was Daryl Evans was a big name, a key veteran, but he didn't quite have the season offensively in 84 that the Tigers were hoping for. He would go on to have a, a huge year, I believe, in 85 the following year. But 84, the Tigers didn't necessarily get the bang for their buck. Um, this piece mentions Larry Herndon. His offensive production really fell off uh, in 84. He had the big, was it 82 or 83 season? He ended up catching the final out of the World Series. but And he had some big home runs that, World, uh, that postseason. But um wasn't quite what the Tigers had thought they they would get offensively. Um, Lance Parrish's uh, batting average was down that year. He still came through with some uh, big home run numbers, led the team in home runs. But his batting average, <laughs> this piece says it plummeted to 238, which is catastrophic. And nowadays, you know, 238, you're practically in the batting race. Um, <laughs> and then and the final point on this uh, piece was Morris and Petrie, the one-two punch, uh, especially early on, it looked like they could get 50 wins. And Morris fell off a little bit on the season, and Petrie um, didn't overpower. Uh, Wilcox had to step up and be that key piece in the rotation. So now, clearly, enough things, enough other things went right um, that year. But there were, it's, it's not like, well, you look across the field and at every position, um, everyone had their best season. Um, and so there were some uncertain moments. Um, just one more that I have to mention, that, and that is that 84, I believe, was the last year that the championship series were best of five. And you think going to the World Series, uh, sorry, not best, of, yeah, it is best of five. Yeah. Um, imagine if the Royals had gotten hot and swept the Tigers in three crazy games. The Tigers had gotten swept, for example, after their amazing 35 and five start, they got swept in Seattle. Uh, what if they had three bad games in a row and the whole season goes down the tubes? Now, they ended up sweeping Kansas City, so it was no problem. But um, Roger Craig writes an inside pitch. My goodness, a best-of-five series after playing 162 really scares me. Um, but fortunately, they, they made it happen. Everything worked out. And then the postseason went just about as smoothly as you could have hoped. Yeah, and, and, and if you look at that Royal Series too, the one the the, the pitcher who was the the odd the, the course they call him the odd duck is in Brett Sabringham because every was every odd year he did really well. I think it was yeah, it was every odd year he did very well, and that was a Royals team that still had a lot of its core in the seventies that would lose those Yankee teams in the uh, in the seventies and just 
of the juggernaut of the Yankees in the 70s. So the, the Royals were no slouch either. And they able to, I mean, they, they of course, they, they capitalized by winning the World Series two years later in 86. But Bud Black, Saber Hagen, they had a, and uh, Charlie LeBrant before he went to the Braves, they, they had a pretty good rotation. Of course, uh, the Q and Quisenberry, one of the uh, one of the best closers in the 80s. So that, that, that Royals team was no slouch at all. George Brett, of course, the only man to win three batting titles in three different decades. Uh, but you, that team showed some little bit of age. Al McRae was kind of a little getting older. But still, nevertheless, um, that Royals team, I thought, was it going to – I mean, it wasn't a guaranteed thing, especially with the way the Tigers finished the second half of the season. So that's a, that's a great point to bring up. And uh, uh, before we get out of here, Nathan, what is going on with Tigers history? What do you got – what's some of the projects you have coming down the pipeline? Well, thanks for the chance to plug this. What I'm doing is I've gotten so much interest in my Tigers history account – on Twitter. And um, I started that account as sort of as I alluded to for an audience of one. And that was me. I wanted to educate myself on all the things that had happened in the Tigers. And now going back into the 19th century, the Detroit Wolverines, illustrious history. Um, But this account account has really taken off, gotten a lot of interest. And it's so fun to see people responding to it, to um, to reply with their memories of that they have of their first Tiger game and things like that. Um, and so what I'm doing now is after a bit of a hiatus on my podcast where I talk with authors of books on Tiger's history and former players, um, I'm going to revive the podcast and launch a companion blog at tigershistory.com, uh, which will link to some articles of interest and have some original articles written by some of my favorite podcast guests. So I'm really excited to do this. It just feels like the next step. Uh, after, I guess, two or three years of doing Tiger's History on Twitter. Um, And what I'm going to try to do is round up some support on Patreon. If you know Patreon, you know the model where you chip in a buck or two or a few more per month to show support for a podcast or another creative effort you like. And uh, if you go to tigershistory.com, you'll find out the info. You can sign up for email uh, updates. If you go to Tiger's History on Twitter, you'll see the Patreon link right at the top. And if you chip in a buck or two, you get some cool perks, including some uh, Tiger baseball cards. And uh, so I hope people check it out. I hope they like the new blog. Uh, We're aiming for the first of uh, the month of July, launching this uh, and relaunching the Tiger's History podcast. And uh, it just feels like the next step. I'm really excited to uh, offer a lot of passionate fans even more when it comes to celebrating the great history of the Tigers. Yeah, and, and do such a great job with that. And, again, something that you point out today, it's been 10 years since Mark Fidrich uh, passed away. Um, there was a first pitch that was thrown uh, this date in uh, 2009 against where his family threw out against uh, the Brewers. And uh, Fidrich was – a just energy. Um, I, what, well, there's there's so many words you can say about Mark Fidridge. So it's just a good dude, um, and not only a good dude, but a guy who really, really just was a kid about everything. But just um, to see the out the the outmotion the, the out, uh, emotional outpouring of it, um, and just the way past was so tragic, but just. He's an awesome guy, and he, the Tigers gave him every opportunity. Sparky gave him every opportunity to come back uh, from injury, and he had a chance almost in 1980 to come back. But, uh, yeah, either way, I just saw that on your timeline, and I just it kind of uh, brought back a choke up a little bit, you know what I mean? So, Yeah, and Fittrich is a great example of why 
I do this account and enjoy this account because I was born in 1979. So I missed the the glory year uh, that he had in 76. But I was just drawn to the way people talked about him, the way people remembered him, um, the fondness they had. I've never heard anyone talk about any other baseball player the way people talk about Mark Fidrich. And then when I saw the documentary come out a couple of years ago, the MLB Network Presents documentary, which is excellent, um, I saw it and I felt it and I experienced it and I got it. And when it came in that documentary to the moment that I tweeted about today with Fidrich's widow, Anne, and his daughter, I believe his name, Jessica, throwing out that first pitch just a couple months after the tragic death of their husband and father, I got choked up uh, just because I was drawn into the story, drawn into the personality of who this man was. Um, and so I, I feel like hearing from fans who remember that season and can talk about their own memories of Mark Fidrich and going back and discovering it for myself, um, that's the reward for, uh, for studying Tiger's history for me. Absolutely, and, and, that's, that, and that's a great perspective to have. So you can find him at Tiger's History. You can also find, find him, uh, his personal account, at N-B-I-E-R-M-A. And so uh, Tiger'sHistory.com, look forward to hearing the podcast. Look forward to checking out the blog. There's some great content available already. And, and for those mid ninety Tiger fans, I'm sure there's going to be some, uh, perhaps some John Dory memories or Masao Kita references. I wouldn't mind that at all. How about a three-part series on Bill Gullickson? <laughs> the only man to pitch 200, strike, uh, 200 innings and get, get, get less than 100 strikeouts a season. Nathan, thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Nathan.